podcast is on giving steroids and head trauma patients. Should we be doing it? For further information, check out the previous podcast, Should I Give Steroids with Shocky Patients? In veterinary medicine, we no longer recommend the use of steroids with head trauma. And this is extrapolated from a human study published in 2001 called CRASH, or corticosteroid randomization after significant head injury. In this multi-institutional international study, they basically did a prospective study where they flip a coin and decide whether or not you receive steroids or you received a placebo within the first eight hours of head injury. And in fact, they actually stopped this study early based on preliminary statistics. What they actually found in the crash study is that if you receive steroids within the first eight hours of head injury, you had an overall higher mortality and a significant higher risk of death within two weeks as compared to the placebo. So based on the study, they said that steroids are not recommended for improving outcome or reducing intracranial pressure. There's no clear benefit shown in human head trauma with giving steroids. And we know that steroids are potentially bad in that they cause GI bleeding, they chronically can cause immunosuppression, they can delay wound healing, and they can perpetuate a catabolic state. But the main reason why we want to avoid steroids with a head trauma patient is because they can potentially exasperate a hyperglycemia. Now, let's step back and think of your typical 10-year-old, obese, pot-bellied, alopecia, bichon frise, that's PUPD. When we look at our classic cushionoid dog, on blood work, they usually have a stress leukogram because of the effect of steroids on the bone marrow. They're typically slightly polycythemic with a packed cell volume of about 55 to 57%. And that's because of the effect of the steroid on the bone marrow. And they often have a thrombocytosis. And that's, again, because of the effect of steroids on the bone marrow. If you take a close look at the chemistry, however, a lot of these dogs have an elevated alkaline phosphatase. But the astute clinician will notice that the blood glucose is slightly elevated in some cushionoid dogs. Their blood glucose may be 140 or 128 instead of 110. And that's because of chronic cortisol. So why do we care in a patient with head trauma? The reason why we care about using steroids with head trauma is because we know that the drugs like steroids exasperate a hyperglycemia. But more importantly, what they know in human medicine is the higher your blood glucose, the worse your head trauma. In other words, if I was crossing the street and got hit by a car, I present to the emergency room with a blood glucose of 250, 270, it actually correlates with a poor cognitive function. So why are steroids bad? Because they exasperate that hyperglycemia. And that extra substrate glucose is bad in the brain because if we have anaerobic metabolism going on due to poor perfusion, it's going to worsen glycolysis, worsen perfusion because of lactic acid, and that glucose actually acts as a proconvulsant, increasing neuronal excitability. Siring and all at a University of Pennsylvania published a paper in JAVMA called Hyperglycemia in Dogs and Cats in Head Trauma, and they looked at 122 cases. What they found in this study was interesting. It correlated with certain parts of human medicine. In other words, the higher your blood glucose was on presentation did correlate with the severity of head trauma in cats and dogs, but it didn't correlate with outcome like it does in human medicine. And honestly, that's because dogs and cats don't read and write, so they have a lower cognitive function to begin with. More importantly, cats get a stress hyperglycemia by just looking at a cat carrier. So again, important paper, 
And it tells us that when we see that high blood glucose on presentation, we should be aware of severe head trauma. But again, we're not going to condemn the patient just based on that hyperglycemia. So what can we take from this? When it comes to treating the head trauma patient, we want to avoid iatrogenic hyperglycemia. That means we don't want to give steroids and we don't want to supplement dextrose just for fun unless that patient is hypoglycemic. So what else am I telling you? If I'm telling you that you shouldn't use steroids with head trauma, how are you going to treat it? The main way is by decreasing intracranial pressure. By simply elevating the head at a 15 to 30 degree angle, that'll help decrease your ICP or your intracranial pressure. We also want to minimize jugular restraint. One of my biggest pet peeves is when people roll up a wad of a towel to basically stick it on the jugular to elevate the head. That's applying constant pressure to the jugular, which actually increases intracranial pressure. What I like to do is get two cans of dog food, put them on the floor, take a cage door down off a cage, and actually put it right on top of the cans of dog food. And this will elevate the whole body. So it'll elevate the head perfectly at a 15 to 30 degree angle. Remember, less than 15 degrees doesn't do anything. Greater than 30 degrees is actually detrimental because it decreases blood flow to the brain. Another way we can decrease intracranial pressure is by giving the drug mannitol. Remember, mannitol is a huge osmotic agent, so it's great at reducing intracranial pressure, but I see a lot of mistakes when veterinarians are giving mannitol. First of all, we only want to give mannitol when a patient is stable. In other words, you've already addressed the ABCDs, the airway, the breathing, the circulation, and you've assessed their dysfunction. In other words, can they walk? Do they have deep pain? Do they have motor? We're always going to fix and stabilize the heart and lungs first, and then we'll worry about the brain later. If you give mannitol to a shocky patient, it's going to volume deplete them and potentially make them worse. So when you give mannitol, make sure your patient's stable, make sure they can handle being off IV fluids and still maintain their blood pressure, and then stop the IV fluids while you give the mannitol slowly. I usually use 0.5 up to 2 grams per kg intravenously over 20 to 30 minutes. You don't want to give IV fluids while you're giving the mannitol simultaneously because it's diluting the osmotic effect and reducing the efficacy of mannitol. You also don't want to give that patient a big bowl of water because they're going to drink and hydrate. The next thing we want to do, besides avoiding iatrogenic hyperglycemia and decreasing intracranial pressure, is perfusion, perfusion, perfusion. There's a formula called the cerebral perfusion pressure, and it's basically your mean arterial pressure minus your intracranial pressure. We don't want to give these patients so much mannitol that they become dehydrated raisins or prunes because that's going to decrease their mean arterial pressure, which is going to decrease the blood flow to the brain. Instead, I want these guys adequately perfused. I want them hydrated. I want them on IV fluids to maintain their blood pressure. And the more we can increase their mean arterial pressure, while simultaneously decreasing their intracranial pressure means the more blood flow they get to the brain or that we're increasing their cerebral perfusion pressure. The other benefit of keeping these guys on IV fluids is not only does it increase perfusion and maintain blood pressure, it helps dilute out that bad substrate, glucose. Again, a lot of these head trauma patients will come in slightly hyperglycemic by just volume resuscitating them. Their blood glucose will drop down to normal on its own eventually. The fourth thing we can do if I'm telling you not to use steroids is to use tight glycemic control. Again, using IV fluids to dilute up that substrate. And in rare cases, I will actually reach for regular insulin and administer it 
intramuscularly. I'm doing this to get rid of the bad substrate in the brain and the CNS. But the key thing is you can't just give a dose of regular insulin and not monitor the blood glucose. You have to be keeping a very close, tight eye on the blood glucose. So I'm going to check a BG 15 minutes later, an hour later. And keep in mind that a seizuring, obtunded, tremoring dog from hypoglycemia looks very similar to the patient that has worsening head trauma. Lastly, we want to stop the seizures. I don't like to tolerate an animal paddling. In other words, they're not grand mal seizuring, but they're still paddling with their limbs. The reason why I don't tolerate this is because they're probably still having brain seizures. If you slapped an EEG on, they probably still have brain activity and brain seizures occurring. I like to use drugs like phenobarbital, pentobarbital, diazepam to stop those seizures because they're utilizing a lot of cerebral metabolism. So again, stop those seizures, maintain tight glycemic control, perfuse these patients, decrease their intracranial pressure, and avoid iatrogenic hyperglycemia in your head trauma patients. What about spinal cord injury? When it comes to spinal cord injury, there's a lot of veterinary research on the use of steroids with intervertebral disc disease or with spinal cord injury. And ultimately, it's up to the surgeon. I still use high-dose steroids with spinal cord injury, but again, the use of steroids with head trauma is contraindicated nowadays. 